Welcome to Antioch Church. Man, we're so glad that you guys are here with us this morning. If you are here with us for the first time, my name's Jay Duncan, and I'm the lead pastor here at Antioch Church. My wife and I have been here for 13 years total and seven years in the lead capacity, and we love this house. We love this people, and we're delighted. We're just so glad that you're here with us today. September is a special month for us. It is it's an unusual month for us in that um, most of our messages, per se, are more around things that God is doing, particularly in the body of Antioch, and they're done in a more of a conversational format. So uh, don't, don't make your, your total judgment based on your first impression today. Uh, we, we are very, very word-based. We, we pull into the scriptures, but in September, we, we, uh, we relax a little bit and we talk about some more relevant issues to the house. All of it we tie into the scripture. So just giving you a heads up on, on what things are gonna look like here today and next week as well. Next week is our celebration service. Like Sidron mentioned, uh, four years ago, we changed the name of our church from Freedom Church to Antioch. And this is just a way for us to stop pause, take inventory, reflect on the goodness of the Lord, and, uh, and to celebrate. So thanks so much for being with us this morning. Uh, our first conversation of the morning is around the topic of our men's ministry and our men's retreat. Now, this is totally on the fly. I want you guys to know this literally popped into my head like 10 minutes ago. I texted Mike. I was like, Mike, I know you're in security, but I need you up here. So none of this is rehearsed. And and I love it. I love it so much. The staff guys call me Peyton because I'm calling audibles all the time. It's just Omaha, 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 always. And I just keep them on their toes, man. So uh, let's do some quick introductions in terms of who you are and uh, how long you've been in the house and in what role and what way that you guys have been leading and serving in the house. Well, my name is Sadron Smith. I've been here six years. Man, time flies. I got a few more gray hairs on my chin now. <laughs> but uh, I serve as an elder in the house, um, really enjoying it. I mean, it's really uh, revolutionized how we look at ministry and how we look at community and how we come together. Because I, I will say this, I have changed a lot. And uh, he can attest to that. Cause I, we all can. Every, well, <laughs> This is the type of stuff we was getting at the men's ministry, <laughs> just busting us wide open out there. But um, I hold my eyebrows up. They make my face smile more. I used to hold them down and just look at you like, what are you talking to me about? But that's not what I'll be thinking. I just look at you like that. So it's really changed my, <laughs> my perception. It's changed how I want people to look at me because everybody would look at me hard when I look at them hard. And I was wondering why, but... When you look in the mirror, you can see why. If you hold your face hard, people hold their face hard towards you. <laughs> That's awesome. That's awesome. Mike. My name is Mike Rice. This is my second week, so I'm a little freaked out. No. <laughs> what if? <laughs> no, I've been here four years. Uh, our family has been here four years. Uh, I wish Jeff Ward, my partner in crime with men's ministry, Jeff Ward and I together uh, lead the men's ministry uh, I'm on the security team, and we, uh, Jeff and I facilitate Wednesday morning prayer uh, for men, as well as uh, the various men's events, men's breakfasts, men's retreats, and so forth. 
Totally agree with Jeff. In fact, this morning, uh, Jeff and Jessica are, are up in Denver ministering uh, to some longtime friends of theirs that are walking through some health challenges right now. So we're praying with and for uh, the wards as they are the incarnational presence of Jesus um, in those hospital rooms up there in Denver today. So along with Jeff, like Mike said, um, these guys are really... Uh, responsible for a lot of what happens in our ministry to men. And I have drawn up here because I see a grace and a calling and an anointing for men. And before we go too much further, um, I just want to hear what God has put in your hearts towards seeing men become the men that God has called them to be. Just kind of just give us a window into your heart, which is the Father's heart for men. I've always been drawn towards men's ministry. Um, just it's what God put in my heart. But it really, if you look at it from a from how God created the family, is if you've got the man of the house, if that man is fast after God, that family is going to be fast after God. Because as the like you said, so as a man goes, so goes the family. I mean, so as a man goes, so goes a family. So goes the church. So goes the community. So goes the schools. So goes the nation, right? So if we're really effectively uh, lighting guys on fire, getting them to understand who they are as sons of God, who they are as the husbands and fathers, leaders in their community, if you can really get guys not only understanding that but walking that out, it's going to change the world. Yeah, good luck. <laughs> I can honestly say that for many years... Um, being in the presence of men has really inspired me because uh, men that I've come across that have, um, I'm not going to say overbearing <laughs> personalities, but have knew who they were as a man have really inspired me to move forward. So when I look around and I look at men who may not know what they're called to, it's, it's, it's a charge, it's a, it's a invitation to go and minister to them. Because one thing that I can tell you is that it does not do my heart good to see, and y'all help me here, if I'm doing wrong, you just hit me, but uh, a spaghetti back man, a man that doesn't have a backbone, that won't stand up for their family or their children, that, that, does, that does something to me because God called us to stand, stand up and to lead and to, and to guide and to, and to seek his face for our families. And for a man to step aside and allow, you know, others to come in and to dictate how their family is to go as opposed to le his, li listening to the Lord, that's done something to me. So when, when I talk about men, I like for men to be mighty. And not, you know, wimpy. So what, what do you perceive that the Lord is up to with the men in this house? And we're going to have the similar conversation as it relates to ladies, per, per, probably post-women's retreat or maybe even pre. But what do you perceive that God is up to? You know, at times and seasons, he'll be up to specific things depending on what that season is. And during the, the, this season... What do you feel like God is breathing into and breathing upon as it relates to our men? Well, I, really, it was 
the kind of the outline of, of the men's retreat that we just came back for, which is there was uh, really the five roles or elements of, 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 of being a man, sonship, brotherhood, husband, father, and elder. And God is really um, giving us clarity and really giving us a good understanding of what that means, what that looks like, but then taking it from that, okay, I understand it, but actually being able to move into it. Because obviously there's so many things that stand in the way. I mean, we can read something and go, oh, I get it, but to actually live that out is something completely different. And it starts with really walking in and truly understanding sonship, uh, that we are created as God's handiwork, that we are his workmanship, and to understand that we can, the freedom that's in laying down performance of like, oh, I've got to show up to church, or I've got to show up to my family, or I've got to show up to my workplace and be all about putting on the mask of performance or putting on the mask of whatever, you know, laying down our jealousies and our contentions and all of those things and being able to operate out of, I am a fully loved, unconditionally son of God, and out of that, I can operate in the fullness of who God wants me to be. I mean, that's a lifelong journey I just described, but that's really where we're at right now. So we're, oh man, it's awesome. I mean, uh, for those of you that unfortunately missed this last weekend, yeah, it was powerful. It was absolutely powerful. And we're, we're just getting started. As everybody that's up there would attest, it was, uh, it, was a, it was a milestone. I think it was a milestone in a lot of guys' lives, and it was a milestone in our church for sure. I feel like the Lord is really, I can echo what he's saying, but I feel like the word sonship is really coming alive on the inside of us. And um, I can see vision. I can see um, strength. I can see when I look in people's eyes, eye to eye, I can see this strength and vision and understanding that I am a son. And, you know, one of the things I shared was that a son can go into the refrigerator without asking having that boldness to open the door, you know, and, and having that, you know, as an analogy, but I'm understanding that our men are understanding that, hey, I can go into God's house and I can be a man. I am a son. I have some liberties and some rights. I can eat. <laughs> this, this is a Mike Rice specific question. And uh, <clears throat> Mike, as, as David and I were kind of trolling around yesterday during the break, I I had this, uh, it was almost a, a, a revelatory picture of, of you. And uh, we were driving through the camp, and, and I saw you up on the hill, and I said, how many guys' lives that were walking through utter, utter darkness has Mike pulled out and walked alongside? And there is something real special on your life, man. You are one of the most loyal guys that I know. And there is a grace on you. And there's a real passion I hear come out of you about brothers who have been hurt and wounded and offended amongst brothers, or like in a church setting, almost like uh, those are the ones that you want to go into the fire and pull out and say, I'm going to walk alongside of you. Do you get healed up? Can you tell us anything about that? Can you tell us what the passion of your heart to see men who've been broken and hurt restored. Sorry, dude. Man, just ambushed. No, th thank you. I mean, 
seriously, it's it's incredibly powerful. But being here in front of people like that, it, it, I don't know how to process. I'm gonna say it's just like whoa. I I don't. I just having. I think all it takes is one brother who. It just takes one until you get it, if that makes any sense. It just takes one guy to, and this, is, this might sound really weird to some folks, but a guy who's just going through hell, and you've been there with, whether it's just the text messages or, man, I don't care, we're, we're going to get together once every couple weeks, and we're just going to walk for a while, just you and me. And even if that means just looking like one of Job's friends, because we don't, you know, I mean, I got at least a couple of buddies right now that I'm, I'm just one of Job's friends. There's no answers. We know that God is king. We know that God, but it's just no fun right now, and, and the devil's doing his best. And you just sit with him, and you're just a friend, and you're there. But when you have that, that hug, that embrace, that friend that says, whether they're even actually able to verbalize it or not, but they just grab you, and you know that they're like, that hug is like a, you saved my life. Once you get, you understand it and you get it and you're just like, I can't, you can't walk away from that. I mean, I was never military, but that no man left behind thing, I mean, that's what I got. That's awesome. Uh, last question for us as it relates to the men's retreat. And, and by the way, for those, and we know, man, life happens and, and some of us aren't able to be uh, away for a weekend and by the way, I also want to say for all the, all the wives and all the moms who, who make sacrifice in order for your husbands and the fathers of your home to be away, we, we know that's, that's no small deal. Uh, especially those of you moms who have little ones, that is no small deal. Christy was at home, and not only did she have three of the kids, but her voice left her the day I left. So imagine having three little ones and trying to like manage and corral and control with no voice. It's great she's animated, but, uh, but that can be, we realize it's, it's a big deal. And, um, and for you to make that investment, not only into your husband, not only into your children, because believe it or not, by doing that, you're investing into your sons and daughters. You're also investing in this house and you're investing into this city. And I think that's important for us to see that in its proper perspective. But last night, um, guys, I would probably put last night up, up around probably the top three moments that I've ever experienced in the Lord. And I've, I've experienced some pretty powerful moments in God. And we got together as a council of guys, and we, we started mapping out our last service, which started at 7 p.m. And, and we had some pretty good targets on the wall that we were shooting at. And one of the things that we wanted to start off with was, was just help the guys process and, and unpack the things that happened during, during the past 24 hours. And without any worship, so just to help you understand, there was nothing conjuring up any kind of emotion or feeling in this. We just began asking simple questions like, hey, what is the Holy Spirit highlighting to you from our past four sessions and from the past 24 hours? And we had just guys just unpacking and sharing. And then one guy stood up. And when he opened his mouth and said, I have a tendency to withdraw and hide. And I'm asking you guys, 
I'm, I, 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 am, I am opening my heart again for God to have graft me into community. Something entered the room. And when I say something entered the room, I mean God, I believe God's always here, he's always present. But man, God manifested in a way that we just all had to say, the fear of the Lord came in and we're stopping. So I said, guys, no more answers, no more questions. I said, we gotta just get quiet and we gotta hear what the Holy Spirit is saying and doing. And after that, what ensued was one, one guy after another began to stand up and just began to confess, I have pulled away, I have been hurt by the church, I have been hurt by other men, I repent of this. It, it was one of the most profound, unprompted displays of the healing grace and the, and the vulnerable power of God I've, I've ever been privileged to be a part of. And, and I wanted to just get into your hearts and your minds. What did you see happening in that moment? What did you see God doing? And, and, and what do you, as you were processing all night long, what do you want to say about that? And what do you want to say to us as a people about, about the significance of, of that moment? My turn. I believe that Yes, the Holy Spirit entered into the room. Uh, men's lives were changed, but I think it was from the beginning of the conference which set the stage. And the stage, the stage was set by our pastor being vulnerable before us and opening himself up. And when a man sees another man do that, it, it does something on the inside. You know, there's no machoism. There's no pride. You know, it's just, hey, this is just me naked and open, and this is what you get. And although I was telling the men around me, tell him to stop, because he's all in my neighborhood. <laughs> he's in my Kool-Aid, and he got the right flavor. <laughs> and I'm like, shut up! Shut up! And nobody's hearing me. <laughs> because I think everybody was feeling a taste of, hey, I have an apple out of that bag. And with that being open like that, I felt like the Lord was saying, hey, this is where we need to be. No more, no more of hiding behind the fig leaves and aprons. When God asked the question, where are you, Adam? He already knew where he was. But he was asking for the fact that, hey, are you going to be open? I see you, but are you going to be open? And I believe that that gave opportunity and space for him to come in at the end, and then you have men, it was like popcorn. They just popping up, just everybody just popping up and saying, hey, this is who I am. This is what I have been hiding behind these fig leaves and apron. Let's move them out the way. Let's move forward because I'm tired of hiding. I'm tired of being the one that's always in the back of the room withdrawing when I know that I should go forward because God is calling me to go forward. And I believe that that's what really opened up the door. So we have a man of God here who was naked and open before men. And uh, we were laughing, but it wasn't laughing at him. It was laughing like, yeah, you right. Leave me alone today, you know. But uh, I believe that that gave space. And when that happened, it just, it just opened up everything. Because I feel like the Lord is saying, stop hiding men. 
Stop hiding. Stop shying away from these things, these sins that so easily beset us. It's time to move forward because time is getting short and there's a lot of people. And not only that, but there's a lot of youth that need to see the men rise up so they can be who they're called to be. And I feel like that this men's retreat was one that was a door that was just opening up us men to that stage. So that's, that's what was going on in my heart when, uh, when, we, when we experienced what we experienced last night. If I were, and I'm not going to, but if I were to, to ask folks to raise their hands, if you've been hurt by the church at some point in your life, everybody in this building would raise their hand, right? Everybody, probably two hands in, start taking off their shoes and raising their feet and everything else, right? And it's because by and large, we see churches and leadership not operating out of sonship, right? The churches have been operating out of insecurity, they've been operating out of manipulation, they've been operating out of whatever things it happens to be because they're not walking as true sons of God who are secure, who are about the kingdom, right? And all I, not all I could say, we could go on on this forever, but Antioch Church is a church that is perfect, no, but striving with every fiber of their being for sonship, Absolutely, and that's not just the rank-and-file churchgoer. That is starting with the leadership from the very top and coming down. So I would say for those folks that are, you know, you're understandably a little jaded, a little wounded, a little like, yeah, been there, done that, got the T-shirt, got a whole drawer full of them. Um, this is a place where koinonia is really happening, where the Spirit of God is moving, where healing is happening, and we're really learning to be the body of Christ, where apologies actually happen, where requests for forgiveness actually happen, where, again, from the top down, we're willing to look at our stuff and go, oh, yeah, that's ugly. I need to stop doing that. I need to repent of that. That didn't bear good fruit. I'm sorry, will you forgive me? That actually happens here. And so what's happening in the men's ministry and what God's doing is, is it's changing this house. It's changing this group of people forever because we are looking like the body of Christ and we are looking like Christ. So I'm just thankful to be a part of it. And for guys, it's, it's going to be an adventure. It's going to be a wild, crazy ride, but it is... It's a beautiful ride. It's a beautiful ride. It's real, and God is right smack dab in the middle of it. For those of you guys um, who both were able to be a part of the weekend and those who were not, uh, the good news is, is that these kind of things are not just reserved to once a year. We have a group of guys that get together and pray every Wednesday morning at 6 a.m. We have monthly gatherings where guys get together, uh, both for fellowship and encouragement. We have outreach projects that happen, uh, one of which I'll share at the end of our service today. And, uh, and we're going to see the connectivity of men and women grow in this house. So guys, thank you so much for sharing today, and thank you so much for what you do in Antioch. All right, well, last week's, uh, last week's question conversation actually spurred more people submitting questions after last Sunday. 
which I think is fantastic. I really do. Um, if we were to get into some of the, the philosophy about um, why we believe questions are important, uh, one of the things that I would say is that it reveals buy-in. You know, when, when, when you believe in something, you want to hear more about it. You want to get a little bit more clarity. You want to have a little bit more understanding into it. And that's, that's a powerful thing. And it reveals, I, th- I think it reveals the heart of a stakeholder to say, hey, I, I'm investing in this. <clears throat> I'm a part of this family. I, I want to have understanding. I want to go further in with this. Now, we can ask questions from a, from a jaded or a cynical or an antagonistic standpoint. And I'm not feeling that from any of our questions. We could also ask from, hey, I, I want to grow. I want to understand more. And I feel that coming off of these questions. These, these, are, these are a little bit of a different tenor from what I understand that you guys shared than, than last week's. Last week's were a little bit more kind of biblical, theological, where do you guys stand on these issues? These, these are a little bit more heart and a little bit more relational oriented, if, 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 if I'm right about that. So, um, Jonathan, why don't you lead us? And you're going to switch up the order. Yep, absolutely. Yes. So... Because of the previous conversation and where it ended, I just feel like it's appropriate to switch gears. And I want to start with a question that came in on, I don't know, a couple of days ago. And the question is, there is much mention of the word family at Antioch. What does that mean? Have relationships become messy? What does that word mean to you as a staff? Family. Messy means no. <laughs> we can tell you very oh, family, clearly what right. messy means. Yeah, we can, we can paint that picture. Uh, laundry, dishes, yeah. my car, my kids' bedrooms. No. Yes. So, guys, what does family mean when we use the term, which it does get used a lot, and I feel like it was used even a few times in the previous conversation. Man, David, I'm so excited to hear I'm your answer, I'm feeling it bro. on David right now. I'm so excited. <laughs> it's just because I have a large family. All right. Um, <laughs> you know, I think everybody has a definition of what family looks like, and all of us have been through a, a, a section or a part of a season of our life uh, through family, whether your family is uh, blended, whether your family is whole in that kind of way, but there are things that you've gone through. And so you may have a lens of what family is. So when that word comes up, there are things that are attached to it. They're tethered to that. So you respond in a way to what you've heard family be mentioned. And you're like, well, family should look this way. And I think all of us have, have this idealistic family, you know, that white picket fence and, and what, you know, mom's making dinner and dad's coming home from a day of work and everyone's high-fiving when they get to the table and they're like, let's eat. And, and I think we do. We, we really put fantasy and reality together in that time. And we try to, like, make this perfect family model And we all bring something to the table, and we really bring an expectation of what family should look like. And every kid has a different idea of what family should look like. I grew up in a house with six kids. We all thought family looked differently, and we all do family differently even now as adults. But that model, that word of family, what we're trying to do here at Antioch is really walk that through the lens of the understanding of what the Bible tells us through sonship. And that can get messy. And so that's kind of a starter for us as we talk about family. I, I think a lot of, <clears throat> it's, it, when we have, whenever we use words like family, sonship, fatherhood, those, those relational terms can be um, attached to a lot of baggage based on each and every one of us. 
whether we had positive experiences or negative experiences. And honestly, um, even for me, having walked through difficult church experiences in the past, I, I would even, I mean, if it were just my decision, I'd probably steer away from using that kind of language, if only because of the potential for people getting hurt, because there, is, uh, there are unmet expectations, and sometimes even unprocessed expectations. Um, but here is what... Here's, here's what's clear, that in Scripture, God chooses to use familial verbiage. He chooses to call us sons. He reveals himself as father. I mean, these are things that we cannot get away from if we are going to treat this with any type of honor. And so what that does is it makes us say, okay, well, what is clear? And I think when, we, when I think of family... I. I mean, just as a starting point for me is that when we're committed to one another more than personal preference, where the commitment exceeds my comfortability or me feeling comfortable in this relationship. I mean, those are terms of family. When I think of my family, um, we had our dysfunctions, but man, nobody could pick on my brother but me. I mean, it was like, nobody's allowed to do that. One year I walked to school for a year to try to track down some guys who picked on my brother. So it's only because, but I beat up my brother every day. I mean, that was, that's what I did. I mean, I did it every day. And, and the point is, you know, we protected one another. There was a special relationship and commitment to one another. And it gets messy, absolutely, because we are broken people. But the commitment helps us to stay long enough for the Holy Spirit to come in and bring transformation. <coughs> Sorry, excuse me. Well, this particular question is actually set in the context of our staff. Is, is, is that right? Am I, it includes that. Okay. Uh, th- this is actually something that we're going to unpack more as we move forward, and, and really this is what I would call an ecclesiological issue, which, which means how do we understand and how do we view the church of God? How do, we, how do we perceive through Scripture and by the Spirit what the church is called to be? I, I think I've shared this once before in a very brief segment, but there was a season of my life where I grew up in the predominant analogy concerning the church was that the church is an army. Now, there's, there's strengths to that. I mean, you know, it was very warfare-driven. It was very missio. It was very missional-driven. Um, and, I, and I could go on and highlight some other strengths of the church being viewed primarily as, as an army. Um, you get in there and you displace, you know, demonic works of the enemy, and there is incredible value to that. Um, one potential pitfall of looking at the church only as an army is that people are very expendable. And, and being in environments that foster a culture where the church is seen primarily as an army, uh, I, I saw a lot of wounded and, and a lot of bloody people because when you have a battle to fight, and if that's, if, if that's the, 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 the predominant milieu that you use, you really don't have any value for people who cannot help win the war. And uh, what that ends up happening is perpetuating 
a system and a cycle whereby a lot of people come needing healing and actually getting more wounded. And so by the grace of God and through the help of the Holy Spirit and being in community and the scriptures, there's, there's numerous scriptures that we can pull out and we will moving forward. But there's one that was very significant for me. In Romans chapter 12, verse 5 says, So in Christ, though we are many, we form one body, and each member belongs to the other. And that idea that each member belongs to the other, that, that my life is not only my own, that it's not just about my relationship with Jesus, and as long as I'm hearing a good message and having a good worship time, and I'm kind of dominating the spiritual Christian life, uh, then everything else is great. If I'm understanding this correctly, um, I belong to every single person in this room. Now, for those of you who've had large families or large extended families, we, we can't get... We can't get family and, and friendship confused because I've got a lot of family. I've got family in Arkansas and Tennessee that I've not seen in years, but they're my family. And so we may not spend a lot of time together. We may not, we may not be friends in the sense that we go and, and, and hang out and do a lot of common things together. But like Dan said, God has defined us as family, which, which means that the predominant way in which we relate is I don't relate to Jesse as a fellow soldier in the army. <laughs> I relate to him as my brother. And that changes everything. It changes everything. It changes when he hurts. If, if I'm allowing God to tenderize me as a brother, then I hurt with him. And when he celebrates, then I celebrate with him, even if there's nothing to celebrate in my life. Now, um, so the way that we interact as a staff and the way that we are moving together as a family. Now, let me say this. Um, we are not there yet. Now, on, I'll say this huge theological word. Ontologically, which just means the essence of who God has created us to be, we are a family. That is who we are. We could not not be a family even if we tried because that's who God has created us to be. We were formed for spiritual family, and that's who we are. Now, are we growing in our ability to be a family? Yes, absolutely. Uh, even with our, in our own natural families, we are family, and we're growing and maturing as families, and we're learning how to be and do family better. And I would say that with our staff, and I would say that with our church at large. Um, is there anything you guys want to add to that? I think the biggest thing here that we want to highlight is that um, when we look at the scriptures and see that God has called the church to be fam the family of God, it means that people are not utilitarian. That's great. And, and that really, I think, is one of many points that we can just stop on. You are not utilitarian. And what do I mean by that? What I mean is that we don't just want your money. What I mean by that is we don't just want you to serve. What I mean by that is you don't just have value if you can do something for us or something that promotes the organization or promotes the quote-unquote vision of the house. I mean that. I really mean that. 
Listen, if some of you guys, now I just feel a little prophetic, little unction come on me real quick. Some of you guys have come through some atrocious situations in churches. And, and, and I want to be really, really clear here. This is not saying that we're better than any other church. There are churches that are super strong in areas that we're really weak. We're not the best evangelistic church in the city. Do I want to be? Yes. Do we, have, do we have loads to grow? Yes. Do we have people who have left because we're not more missional? Yes. So, so we just happen to catch this one area that, that we're focusing on and growing on. And for those of you guys who resonate with that, you're going to love that. But for those of you who want more excellence or those of you who want more, you know, create a list, we're, we're still growing in all of those things. Some of you are here and you've been really hurt in the context of a church. There might have been something inside of you that looked for and expected and desired family and you did not get that. Or maybe you opened up your heart or maybe you made yourself vulnerable or maybe you pursued and you got hurt. And I want you to know here in this house, we want to create a safe environment for you. We want to create a house where if you need to come and you need to sit for two years because that's where you're at in the family, we want you to know that's okay. That is okay. And, and we're asking from you that you would have a heart to say, Lord, I want in your time and in your way to heal and to restore my life so that I can contribute in a, in a, in a certain way to the family. But I've got, you know, for any of you who have young children, you know that there's a, there's a certain stage of life where young children, they're not contributing anything, but they have immense value. They have immense value. And, and, and also, in stages of life, when, when we hit a certain place of age, there's a certain level of strength and energy that we're not able to contribute anymore, but you still have value. I couldn't imagine this house without George and Trudy Coflesh. I just do not want to imagine this family without them in this room. So I think that's the biggest thing that I want to communicate is that as a son and as a daughter of God, you carry incredible value. And we are all maturing in our ability to see your value, to see each other's value, and to express that value that we see in you. Amen? Amen. Amen. Awesome. Okay. We're just going to do one question today. Um, let, that was a great question, by the way, whoever asked that. Let, let me do this. We have something that we want to put our eyes on, and I'm, I'm going to do this hopefully in about three minutes. Um, I want to reflect on something that I felt like the Lord dropped into our house for the first six months of the year. As a church, we walked through a book called Faithful Presence. And the premise of that book is that the church is the faithful presence of God in the earth. That God literally is on the earth and working in the earth in and through us, his people who are on the earth and in the earth. And, and one of the frameworks that the author of this book utilized is this concept of circles. And there were, there were three circles that he utilizes to help us, to help us have a, a missional mindset 
as we go about living life as the faithful presence of Jesus. All right, circle number one. How many of you guys remember what circle number one is? Yeah, go ahead and say it out. It is the close circle, not closed. It is the close. And the idea of the close circle is when believers gather together, so that could be small groups, life groups, Bible studies, prayer groups, those are all examples of close circles. You know, when you have people over to your house that are all believers and you're doing something to strengthen those relationships, deepen those relationships, the men's retreat, that was a close circle. It is a circle of believers. And that circle has immense value. Uh, For all the things that the guy shared about the men's retreat, for all the things about learning how to uh, practice greater transparency, disclosure, trust, healing, forgiveness, serving one another, submitting to one another, all of that, the close circle provides an opportunity for that to happen. Now, the next circle is a circle called the dotted circle. Now, the dotted circle is where you and I, as the faithful presence of Jesus, as followers of Christ, it is where in the realms of influence that God has positioned us, this could be MOPS groups, PTA groups, be serving uh, in, in some aspect of, of our city. This could be inviting a friend over to your home. The dotted circle is where you as the believer sit in the seat of invitation. You are inviting people to come and to interact with you and other people that are believers in a, in a very intentional manner. Let me give you an example. So um, a few weeks ago, I was over visiting my brother-in-law's, re- returning something to him, and his neighbor across the street says, are you coming to the ice cream social tonight? And I was like, uh, I wish I could, but I, I can't. And so I began talking with them, and lo and behold, their neighbors are believers, and what their neighbors do every year and sometimes multiple times a year, is they go throughout their entire neighborhood and they invite people to come to their house as believers and they have an ice cream social and it's an opportunity for people who may not be believers to interact with other believers and they're the host. You guys catch that? So that could be a barbecue, that could be a tea, that could be wine, that could be whatever you guys do. But it's the host inviting so that people who may not have interface or interaction with Christ, the gospel, or God's people, they're leveraging that influence to be a bridge between those two people groups. That's the close, or the dotted circle. The half circle is where we actually, by virtue of trust and by virtue of of, um, faithfulness, where we are actually invited as the guest. We are not the host. We're, we're not inviting, we are the invitee. We're the responder. So if you've ever been invited to someone else's house or someone else's party or someone else's deal and they don't know Christ, you're participating in the half circle. And each and every one of these circles are all strategic avenues whereby we bring the presence of Jesus into the world. Does that make sense? This is language I am proposing that we not just abandon. Can I get a hearty, like a something like a, like a head shake or a, or a mm, that's good or a I agree or a that's right or a yes or a something. Thank you. <clears throat> you know, for all of our strengths of being a church that is learning how to do family well, I see that our, our missio day 
is a little weak. And I, and I say that with, with great humility, guys. I, I don't know what's happening in your lives, and that probably was a gross overstatement or understatement, but I, I, maybe what I should say is this. I think God is calling us as a people to greater Missio Dei. And I think that understanding the concept of the close dotted and half circle is a potential avenue by which God helps us fulfill that heart to be people who don't just get inward and, and ingrown, but we're constantly as the people of God saying, which circle am I in? Am I inviting people into this space? Am I, am, I, am, I, am I interacting with people that don't know Christ? Are there opportunities to leverage for God? Am I praying for people consistently that don't know the Lord? Am I being a good neighbor? All of that. I, I, I think the Lord is saying, guys, let's, let's now lean into this. The scripture says that God places the lonely in families. So on one level, I'll say this and then we'll, we'll be done. On one level, it, it is good enough for God that we are becoming family because simply for the fact that that's who God has called us to be. On another level, it is not good enough because God actually wants to strengthen us as a family so that he can trust us to place displaced and broken people into this family. Because I believe the new wave of evangelism is, is less knocking on doors, handing out tracts, massive bombastic crusades. I have this inner gut intuition that the new wave of evangelism is gonna happen at tables, over dinners, in homes, where people who are so, who have never, oh, I'm feeling some Holy Ghost right now. Y'all done messed up. <laughs> Guys who have grown up in broken families, Men who have never had a father to call a father being invited by a work buddy to come and see what it looks like to be a son at a table yes. and to see a father love his children and experience something vicariously or a daughter be nurtured by a mom and be taught how to do whatever it is in life, being brought into the sanctity of the power of a family and experience the restoring life of God in that. I believe with all of my bones that is the next wave of evangelism. It's the next frontier of missions on the homeland. Guys, there are refugees that have been displaced from their families that are longing to sit at a table that have history to share that have stories to tell us, that have recipes to enjoy with us. That's who Antioch is called to be. Now listen, for those of you guys who have not experienced that in this house, for those of you who say, well, you talk a good game. Listen, we're not, tr listen, we have to constantly put vision out there by what we've, we perceive God prophetically calling us into that we move towards and we grow into. So where we have fallen short in that, please do not keep us in that place of failure. And please be a part of the solution of being who God has called us to be, not in pegging us in who we're not. If, if, if you're an evangelist and you've been frustrated that, that we've not been more missio, man, Pull some of us together and impart that into us 
and invite us to your house with your unsaved friends. Teach us, lead us in your strength and lead us in your way. We want to go with you. God is calling us towards this end.